Well, why don't we pray together and we will um, transition into the message. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your goodness, Lord, this time of year especially. We're just reminded um, of all the ways that you have been so gracious and so generous and so merciful and so loving to us. And we just say thanks. Thank you for the food you provide. Thank you for a church family that we can do life with. Thank you for um, your grace and mercy that's poured out for us in Jesus. Thank you uh, for being such a good God and such an amazing God to us. We just give you thanks. Pray now as we look into your word um, today, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would bring about a revolution of sorts in our own souls and in our own hearts. Uh, you would be lifted up and that we uh, would fall in line uh, in, in right relationship with you and uh, and yeah that you would be honored and glorified in us and through us we pray in Jesus name Amen well, I was reading this week about uh, Nicholas Copernicus, who lived in the early 1500s. Back in, back in that day, it was sort of universally understood that the earth was the center of everything, right? The earth was the central point, the focal point in the entire universe. And all of the other planets, the sun, the stars, everything rotated and revolved around us. Ah! Right? And so, and so uh, Nicholas Copernicus... Super uh, highly educated, amazing. He was a he was well known as a mathematician, an astronomer, a scholar, a diplomat, even an economist. He wrote books on all these subjects. Amazing. But he started studying the movement of the stars. Started uh, you know studying the the movement of the planets, even the phases of the moon. And he started writing and published several books uh, on, based on his observations. The most famous was called On the Revolution of the Celestial Spheres, right? It sounds like a page turner. But in it, he hypothesizes that the Earth was in fact not the center of the universe, but that in our solar system, the Earth and all the other planets actually revolve around the sun. Now, to us that live on the other side of this discovery, we're sort of like, well, duh, right? I mean, like, we're kind of like, not a big deal. But this is like the first. This was significant. Up until this point, everybody believed he was a fool. Everybody believed, no, we know it all revolves around us. And so to actually hypothesize something different was was jaw-dropping. It was a, a huge shift. Uh, it, it, it signaled a huge shift in how people viewed themselves and how people viewed the world, the solar system, and everything. It started a revolution of sorts that uh, people like Galileo and Kepler and others built upon that fundamentally changed how people viewed their worlds. Before that time, they thought the universe revolved around them. I share that because I'm not so sure that you and I don't need a Copernican revolution of our own because it is so easy for us to think the world and the universe revolves around, wait, my favorite subject, oh, right? <laughs> because it's so easy for us to fall into a similar kind of trap. Now, it's no surprise that that happens, right? I mean, from the time we are born as little babies, we start learning lessons, and this starts getting ingrained in us. We cry when we're hungry, when we want something, whatever. And when we cry, hopefully, if we've got a good, loving family, somebody comes and meets our needs. And you start, you start to learn these lessons and think, man, it really is all about me, right? And this is great. I cry. Then you get into the toddler years. And that kind of gets reinforced, right? They kind of start saying, they learn these amazing little words that, that, that make sure that they get exactly what they want. They learn, yes, but that's not the good one. What do they learn? 
no, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want that. We start getting strong. We start learning temper tantrums, right? And aren't we all thankful for those years? We're like, what in the world? But we start learning. Sometimes we learn lessons. They're like, hey, if I, if I am stubborn enough, if I am strong-willed enough, if I throw in a big enough temper tantrum, then I will get what I want, right? And it's, again, all these things sort of reinforce Maybe I am the center of the universe, and don't even get me started on the teen years, right? <laughs> like, like, right. That's why. I mean, that that's the sort of comes. Uh, I'll just say this. I think it's a group in general that's often known for thinking the world does revolve around them, and we like to think that that stops maybe in those somewhere in those toddlers or preteen or teenagers. But the reality is, it shows up all over the place, doesn't it? And we don't like to think about this very much. We don't really shine a light on it. But I think what we'll see today is so often in our marriages, so often in our homes, in our worlds, in our jobs, we live in, with a worldview that says everything really is about me. We've uh, discovered this and seen this in the media a ton lately with <laughs> all kinds of crap, I'll just say, People like Harvey Weinstein, Robert Weinstein, uh, all kinds of politicians are coming out with sexual harassment and worse kinds of allegations. And, and, and I watch that and I listen to some of the things that come out of their mouths and you're just like, would you please not speak? Right? Like, cause, because what's coming out, you can see their entire worldview of it's all about me. I should be able to do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want. Like it's, 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 it's the outflow of that kind of worldview because it's all about me. We see this in the workplace. There's phrases that, that sometimes will get spewed out like, you know, it's not personal, it's just business, right? That, what, what we mean by that is it shouldn't matter if it crushes you, lets you go, if it does damage to you, your family, whatever else. It's for my good and for my advancement in the workplace or for the good of the company so that we can make more money. It's not personal. It's just business. It kind of reinforces this behavior of it's just about me. It's not really about you. It's just, it's really just about me and some of those kind of stuff. The universe revolves around me. We see it on campuses, on college campuses. We see it in relationships. I mean, drugs and alcohol, I mean, all over the place. I get a, a, a chance to do a fair amount of marriage counseling, and can I just say, I mean, man, sometimes we see this in marriages, right, where, where a, a guy comes in and, and a girl comes in and they're married, and each one of them thinks the world revolves around them, and what kind of marriage do you think that makes? When you're trying to just persuade the other person that it really is about you, that they should get in line and get on board with that and serve you and take care of your needs, and it really should be about you, and the other person's doing the same, does that build a really good marriage? Okay, you guys, that was a weak answer. Does that build a really good marriage? No, it does unbelievable kinds of destruction in our lives. It rips apart families and marriages and homes. All kinds of damage gets done when we live with this kind of worldview. Could it be that you and I, too, need to experience a Copernican revolution of sorts? Here's the sermon in a sentence today. It's not all of it, but some of it. Uh, but it's not popular. It's not a very uh, American thing to say. But I want you to look, look here and look real close. It's not about you. I know, shocking. <gasps> There's gasps in the room. But it's not. It's not about you. It's not about me. Despite what we may think, despite how we may live, it's not about you. 
We see it in our marriages. We need to experience a Copernican revolution in our marriages, in our spiritual lives, even in the church. Man, and I just think, man, we see this all the time in church settings. Uh, Peoria seems to be particularly bad at this, where uh, Christians, quote, quote, right, church people will go from one church to the next to the next. They'll hop around. They'll, they'll, do, they'll do the hop around thing, and they'll show up, and they'll sort of demand, like, we're looking for a church where we can be fed. We're looking for a church that has the worship style that we want. We're looking for a church that has all the programs that we want. We want a church that has all this exactly the way we want it for our kids. And I don't know if, if you're hearing this, but it's, it, it, it's all focused on one person, right? Me, 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 me. The ironic thing is from a biblical point of view, as you grow, and it's not that we don't want to find a good place where we can grow right, as, as spiritually. Of course, that's a, that's a good thing. But man, the Bible paints a picture of spiritual growth as being something when, as we grow, as we become more like Christ, you know what more and more and more of our life is about? It's about Jesus and others. It's about loving God and we do that most, most obviously by pouring ourselves out to others. We serve and we give and we use our gifts to help build up and to help bring God's plans and to help people grow in love with Jesus and with one another. It's not about you. It's not about me. We need a Copernican sort of revolution in our own lives. Oftentimes we want God to serve our purposes and not the other way around. We, we live in such a way that we, we wouldn't say this out loud, but we're, we're, what we're saying is sort of like the Lord's Prayer, except we change a few words. We say, may my kingdom come and may my will be done in my life and with my kids and in my marriage and in my church and in my job and in my world because it's all about me. We are on our fifth and final week of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called Radical Reformation. And this series is, is all about digging into the foundations of our faith, sort of the, uh, the critical beliefs of Christianity and how to build our lives on them. For the series, we're using uh, these five statements from the Reformation uh, that, that came out as, as sort of our foundations. It, it, it stems from a time in history when the church had sort of gotten off course uh, from the, the true teachings of Jesus. And uh, used, God used the Reformers to sort of bring us as, as a church, the, the global church, back to our roots, back to the, the teachings of, D, of Jesus, back to the foundations of our faith. And so we are taking one of these statements every week and we're digging into it, and, it's, it, and it really comes down to, to these uh, alone statements, right? We are saved, we are made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, made known through scripture alone, and we are to live for the glory of God alone. This week, of course, we were talking about that last one. We were talking about uh, the fact that we are created and made for the purpose of living for the glory of God alone. It's about him, and it's not about me. It's not about you. Now, it's kind of cliche to say that kind of thing, but it's very, very true, and very rarely do we actually embrace and live this stuff out. We are created and made to bring glory to the one who made us. In fact, everything that God created, he created to bring glory to himself, to reflect who he is, to reflect his greatness and his power and his goodness and his love. Glory is sort of a, a fancy word that means to ascribe or to recognize or to celebrate 
the, uh, the excellence of a thing that makes it praiseworthy. That's, uh, let, let me put it this way. One author I, I said this, I thought it was great. He said, the glory of a flower is its beauty. The glory of a strong man is his strength, right? It's, it's, it's recognizing who they are and the, the, the praiseworthy things about them. To glory in something. What the Bible tells us again and again and again is that you and I, in fact, everything in the universe, everything around us is made to bring glory to God, to show off his splendor, to shine a light on his wonder and his beauty and his goodness. It's all created to bring him glory. Listen, I'm going to go through a hodgepodge of scriptures this morning. I just want you to, I just want you to get a, a, a glimpse of this because it's everywhere throughout the entire Bible from start to finish. It's everywhere. It's, it, it is what our lives are to be about. It's the purpose of our creation. Let me start with this one. I love this. It's one of my favorites. Uh, Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the works of his hands. I, like I said, I absolutely love this verse. We don't even know how many stars there are and planets there are out there. Scientists' best guess is that there are around 10 trillion galaxies, each containing an estimated 100 billion stars. It's a ridiculously huge number. If you've ever gotten out of town, gone out into the country, uh, away from the city lights and stargazed, how many people have ever done that? Right? And, and sat down and watched... It's, it's breathtaking. It's a night on a cool, clear night when you can see, I mean, you can kind of get a glimpse of the Milky Way swooshing across the, uh, the horizon, and you get to see all these different constellations and stars. It is awe-inspiring. These are some of my faves, by the way. But uh, I, I was reading this week and saying, you know, if, if you could imagine, I mean, like when you sit there in the dark, I can remember in college, I used to go up uh, with a bunch of friends. We'd stay out all night. We'd go out to this little YMCA summer camp in Boone, Iowa. It's like miles and miles outside of any place. And we would go up on top of this gigantic hill. There was woods all around, so there were like no lights. And up on the top of the hill, there was a clearing, and they had benches out uh, that were up there. And we'd lay out on the benches and watch the stars the entire night and just talk and hang out and have fun. And uh, it was it was amazing. You watch you know, falling stars and meteors and stuff going through. You'd, you'd be able to look up and see the stars, and you think, man, I can see millions of them. You, you think, man, how many, how, many, how many stars do you think you can see, by the way, from the naked eye, from, from if you get out of town? What would your guess be? Okay, come on. A lot? Yeah, okay, that's good. If you had to guess, we're just guessing here. Less than 10,000. Yeah, okay, you know the answer. <laughs> it's true, it's less than 10,000 stars. It's uh, 8,000 some is, is all that's visible to the naked eye. And you think, man, if that's, I mean, it's, and on a clear night, you think, man, it, it lights up the sky. If the reality is there's 10 trillion galaxies, each containing 100 billion stars. By the way, that's, uh, in perspective, that's a 10 with 24 zeros after. That's how many stars there are. That's a lot. I mean, gazillion, billion, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a ton, right? 24 zeros. If that's how many there are, and we can only see 10,000, it sort of begs the question, why would God create that many? And you know what the answer is from the biblical perspective? To, to show his glory. You want to know why he shows that much? You want to know why he, he created that much? Because it gives us just a glimpse of how big he is. This is the God who spoke and he created everything that there is. 
He's like, man, I'm showing off. I'm giving you a picture of my power, of my beauty, of my glory. Says the heavens are proclaiming. They're shouting. They're screaming. They're giving us a glimpse of the glory of God. Just a little picture. We can only get a glimpse of it. But even some of those pictures I was showing you, each one of those is just a snapshot of God's vastness and greatness and power. Isn't that cool? They're created for his glory to reflect his greatness. But it's not just stars. Listen to this, Colossians. says this, the Son, Jesus, right, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Listen to this. All things have been created through him and for him. According to these scriptures, right, he's saying you and I and everything else that's around us, everything was created by him, but it's also created for him, for his pleasure, for his purposes, to make his glory known. Isaiah 43, 6-7 just puts it bluntly. This is God speaking directly here. He says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name. Listen to this. What does that say? Whom I created for what purpose? For my glory, who I have formed and I have made. Why are you created? Why are you here? For God's glory. To reflect who he is to enjoy and praise and come to know and share and see a little bit more of who he is. Isn't that cool? You're created for his glory. I wrote a study this week that found that 75% of millennials have absolutely no idea what their purpose in life is. My hunch is that it's higher than that. And it's probably not just millennials. It probably spans spans. From a biblical perspective, and I know this is going to seem maybe aloof or, or, or pie in the sky or whatever, but from a biblical perspective, why are you here? You're here to bring glory to God. You're come here to know him and to, to see him and to worship him and to walk with him and to reflect his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, this is fascinating. Not just, not just that we're created for his glory, but we're told as followers of Jesus that, that uh, we are to reflect his greatness and love and nature to the world. In everything that we do, our work, even our eating and our drinking, our chores around the house, whether we're at home or we're at the, at the store, it makes no difference. Everything, every moment of every day is an opportunity to live with God and to give thanks to God and reflect and think about and become more like God, allowing his glory to shine in us and through us. Our lives are to bring him glory. I mean, the writers of the Bible, the, the, the early church, I mean, throughout history, followers of Christ have been passionate about this. Jude 24 and 25, there's, there's benedictions that are just peppered everywhere throughout the Bible that just, that just focus on his glory. It says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. 
Amen. So he's saying, may God be glorified. May he be seen and known and praised and worshipped for who he is from the past, the present, and the future forever. And in fact, I mean, we're going to look at this in a second, but that's going to be, uh, that's, uh, our occupation even when we're in heaven one day. Romans 11 is another one that says this, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? What's the implied answer? Nobody, right? Who's like him? Who can think his thoughts? Who can? Uh, nobody. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? What's the implied answer? Nobody. It's all his, right? It's all his. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forevermore. Amen. So it's basically saying, may he be glorified. May he be seen and known and lifted up for who he really is. Shine a light on him. May he be famous. He is good. He is unlike any other. To him be glory. This one we, we use quite a bit, and I'm coming to the end here, so no worries, I know I'm doing rapid fire here, but this one we use quite a bit around here, Ephesians 3, 20, 21, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power, his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Saying the church is to bring Christ's glory. That's part of our, that's our primary purpose as a church. We shine a light on Him and His greatness. We see this throughout the Psalms in worship. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Worship is about bringing praise to God. It's about shining a light on Him. It's saying even the heavenly beings and the worshipers of God, we all have this in common. Our lives, our, our existence is about bringing glory to Him. God Himself, it says, is passionate about this. Isaiah 42 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or give my praise to idols. God's passionate about his glory. He's not passionate about it because he's an egomaniac, but because he's worthy, because we are created for that purpose, because life works best for us as we discover and live in the truth that it's not about me. My purpose and my life and my eternity are all about God. This is his story. I mean, it's his glory that I'm made for. In the best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren writes this. He says, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purposes and for his purpose. And what's that purpose? It's to enjoy and reflect his greatness to the world, to bring him glory. Westminster Catechism puts it like this. The chief end of man, the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. One of my favorite authors and songwriters and uh, and leaders is a guy by the name of Louis Giglio. He's the founder of the, the Passion Worship Movement. Uh, and he shares a story. It's great. He says this. He says, One night my wife Shelly and I were flying home from Waco to Houston in a small twin-engine plane. Every time I looked out the window, I saw something curious. I saw a massive searchlight uh, moving rapidly across the ground below. 
At first, I thought there must be a police helicopter that was tracking some criminal, but the light followed us for like an hour. Finally, I spoke up, wondering out loud, what on earth could that light be? And the pilot, ever so confident and a little bit on the smug side, <laughs> informed me that it was the moon, which was full <laughs> at that time, and pretty much right there if I had bothered to only look up. But the moon was shining on the plane, reflecting a circle of light onto the ground. He's like, he said, I felt like a total idiot, right? Like, if only I'd have looked up, I could have seen this. He said, embarrassed and a little humiliated, I went back to minding my own business, not saying a word. And then it hit me. Eager to get even, I remarked that actually the moon was not shining on the plane at all. Rather, it was the sun that was shining on the moon. Ha! Right? <laughs> and that, that it was the, the sun reflecting on the moon that actually reflected onto the ground. That was sunlight that was making a huge searchlight on the ground. He said, I felt brilliant. <laughs> not really. He goes on to say that the moon uh, that we see in the night sky is really, in actuality, just a dark ball of dirt, of sort of fluorescent dust, reflective dust and rock. It doesn't produce any light of its own. The glory of the sun is actually what radiates and reflects off the moon. It's what makes the moon look brilliant and glorious. On our own, he says, we too are just balls of dust and dirt floating through life. We too are made to reflect and radiate the sun's glory to the world. We are made to be little moons. Shine a light on us if you will, he says, but you'll only see a greater reflection of his glory in all those around them. Friends, you and I are created to reflect and enjoy and proclaim his glory, his goodness, his love, his faithfulness, his truth, his beauty, his life, his splendor. It's the purpose of our existence. Now the problem is, of course, that we live in a sin-stained world in which we too like the spotlight, right? We too like to, we kind of like our own glory. We kind of we fall prey to that. I remember hearing a story one time about a congressman uh, that was brand new. He just gotten elected, uh, moved into his, his office in Congress. N nothing was even there yet except a desk and a telephone. And he was kind of sitting there, just kind of waiting for his stuff to show up when all of a sudden a, a newspaper reporter walked in the outer office and he thought, I better look busy. And so he picks up the phone and he starts saying, yes, Mr. President. Yes, well, I'm, I'm glad you liked my plan, sir. Yes, yes. It's like, no, no public thanks needed. Just knowing that my plan saved thousands of lives will be enough for me. It's like, yeah, just a second, just a second, right? I mean, he's, he's having this conversation. Yes, sir, thank you. It's been a pleasure. He hangs up the phone. He says, now, how can I help you? And the guy says, I'm just here to install your phone, <laughs> right? Kind of thing. <laughs> okay, think about it. Ah, yes. Right, but I, the, I, I love the story, but I think it illustrates, I think all of us have a bent in that direction. We like to look a little bit better, a little bit more important than we really are. All of us wishes, and we like to think of ourselves as the hero of our story. We like to think that, man, we are, the good, we are bigger and we are glorious. And, man, we are making our own light, right? I'm, I'm just a little moon, but really, look at, look at this light coming off me. I'm awesome. You guys should get on board with this, right? We like to, we, we have this bent that gets so focused on our own glory. Don't we? 
I read a bunch of articles this week as I was looking up some of this star stuff and some of the galaxy stuff and whatever. And I was amazed, again, just thinking about the fact that there's 10 trillion galaxies, right, each containing 100 billion stars. And, and God created it all for his glory. And article after article after article was, was focused on how great we are to discover them. And I just thought, man, there's something weird about that. I mean, and, and there's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. They're talking about Hubble and the telescope they're actually developing now, which is going to be way better than Hubble that's going to go up soon and all this kind of stuff. And they're talking, and those are great. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's awesome. But it's, it's, it, it seems weird to, to focus so much time and column space and on and on and on, focused on how great I am for my little invention. When again, there's... 10 to the 24th power of stars that God says are screaming at the top of their lungs. Look at the vast. Remember that there's a creator, one who spoke, and that all came into existence. One that just gives us a little tiny glimpse of who he is. It's created for his glory, and yet, so often we like to try and focus that glory on ourselves and miss out on the truly glorious one around us. Now, it's not just something that happens out there to reporters and guys who write articles about this kind of stuff. It's in here, too, isn't it? I mean, not just do they have the, the propensity to, 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 to fall into that trap, but I do, too. How about you? I mean, oftentimes when I get overlooked or when somebody gets credit for my hard work, you know what? I can get real preoccupied with my own glory. When I get accused of something that doesn't seem fair or right or justifiable, I get pretty focused on me and my own glory. Sometimes when others around me get promoted or raised up or honored or whatever, and I've been working just as hard or harder than them, I get real focused on my own glory. It's hard. It's hard for us. It's hard to keep our lives focused on the glory of the one who made us. I resonate with what uh, John the Baptist says where he, when he says, he's talking about Jesus, he said, he must increase and I must decrease, right? He's saying, you know what? It's sort of a little snapshot that says, you know what? It's not really about me. Even though I struggle with it, it's not really about me. It's really about him. And John's saying, I want to live my life that way. I want to live my life for the glory of another. Louis Giglio says this as well. He says, as a result of the fall, we all have a deadly preoccupation with ourselves. <laughs> We're self-aware, self-focused, self-conscious, self-made, self-protecting, self-promoting, self-centered, and selfish. Conversion to Christ is nothing less than getting over ourselves. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's true. I mean, that's, that's what he's trying to do in us. But I want my way. I want my will. I want my glory. I want to appear better than I am. But the foundations of the faith, the truth that we've been talking about these last five weeks reminds us that we cannot save ourselves. It reminds us that we are not the heroes of our own stories. We're not at all. We are instead, all of us, hopelessly flawed by sin. If we got what we deserved, who could stand? What's the answer? None of us, if we got what we deserve, the weight of our sin, the consequences for our sin are overwhelming. The Bible says it's what? It's death. Separation from God. It's game over. If we got what we deserved, 
It would be game over. It would be hopeless. But God, in his graciousness, in his glory, he came after us by sending Christ, by sending the Savior, the glorious one, to come after us. And he, he took our sin, and he took our own self-glorification, he took our own crap and junk and ugh, all that stuff. He took it upon himself, and he paid the price for it by dying in our place. He died. Three days later, he rose again, and now he graciously offers forgiveness. He offers to bring us back to God. He offers us eternity in heaven with him. He invites us into his presence, into his glory, to live with him and to become like him today and tomorrow on through to eternity. It's all, he's the hero of the story. It's not us. He is the one that came and redeemed. He is the glorious one. Life only works, really, as we learn to see him for who he is. As our lives start to get focused more on his glory and not ourselves. As we remember who we are and who we're not. I'm not saying that we're nothing. Are you kidding? We are made in his image. We are made for his pleasure. We're made for relationship with him. He is fond of you. He's, I mean, he loves you like crazy. There's great purpose. There's great meaning. There's great hope in the midst of that. But we've got to remember that he is the strong one. He is the hero. He is the glorious one. And our lives need to stay aligned and in step with him. I struggle with application stuff this week because anything that I tell you to do <laughs> can be done for his glory or not, right? Let me, tell you, let, me, let me tell you this. I'm a church planter, right? I'm a pastor and a church planter. And let me tell you, I speak from experience when I say anything I do can be done for my glory or it can be done for his. The, the actual things themselves don't make the... the the, the difference. It's the heart. It's the attitude. It's the focus of our lives that make a difference. So let, instead of specific application, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. And I want you to consider what it might be like for you and for me to live for the glory of God alone in our lives. What if? What if every moment of every day is really an opportunity to live in and to live with and to live for the glory of God? What if going to work tomorrow isn't so much about my advancement and my money and my career, and it's really just another opportunity to live for his glory? What if working hard isn't about my career or isn't about making me look good to my peers or to my boss? But what if working hard was really just another opportunity to please God, to share with the world about the greatness of the God that we're living for and living with? What if it really is all about him? What if marriage isn't primarily about me getting what I want? What if it's not primarily about me getting my needs met even? What if it's not so much about everybody else serving me and sort of orbiting around my universe? But what if it really is an opportunity to glorify a God that didn't come to be earth to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? What if me learning to serve my wife really is about my learning about and emulating and shining the glory of the Savior that I love? 
What if it's not about me, but it really is about him? What if even struggles and pain and losses and heartache, what if even those things are just opportunities to see and proclaim God's goodness and love and glory? What if it's an opportunity to get a snapshot, a little clearer picture of who he is? What if, what if it's God at work in our midst? What if it's all part of God's plan to draw us close, to draw you close, to draw me close, and to show us who he is a little bit more? What if it's an opportunity for him to, to strengthen you and sustain you and to show his glory to the world? What if in the midst of financial struggle, God wants to reveal his amazing provision and care for you? What if it's just a way that he, a light gets shined on, on how, what he can, just a little bit of what he can do as he provides for you in miraculous kinds of ways? What if that's a proclamation of his glory? What if even in death, God wants to remind you of the hope that comes through his son Jesus, who conquered death and now offers life to all who put their faith and trust in him. It's, it's for his glory. I'll stop it in the pause button and just say, man, my spiritual journey began at the funeral of a teenage friend of mine. What if God's using even death for his glory, to advance his purposes, to, to shine a light on who he is, that, that even in death there is life? For those that are his, that one minute after you die, you'll be more alive than you have ever been. What if even that is just another opportunity to shine his glory? What if sharing Christ with somebody or serving the poor, what if that's all just part of God's plan to make his glory known to the world? The one who, 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 loved, the one who loved us, the one who poured out his grace and his riches on those of us who don't deserve it, who could never afford it. But he does it anyway because he's gracious and generous and loves those who are poor. What if that's just a way to shine the God that you follow? What if your money and your kids and your marriage and your work and your free time and your chores around the house, what if it's all coming uh, for the purpose of his glory? What if coming to worship on Sunday and going to work on Monday and cleaning the bathroom on Tuesday, what if it's all an opportunity to live with him and for his purposes, for his glory? What if it's an all an opportunity to get to know him more, to proclaim him more, to see him more, to know him more, for his glory to be seen and known in the world more and more and more? I come back to that 1 Corinthians 10 passage. <laughs> Whether you eat or drink, in everything that you do, do it all for the glory of God. If what we're talking about today is true, friends, then all of life has purpose. Every piece of life has purpose. Because it's, it's an opportunity for God to be seen, for God to be known, for God to be trusted and leaned on, for God to be proclaimed, for God to be worshipped. Every single moment of every day has purpose when God's the focal point, when, when we're living our lives for his glory. I remember reading one time that Johann Sebastian Bach, right, the great composer uh, from the early 1700s, uh, wrote all kinds of extremely well-known uh, music like Yesu, Joy of Man's Desiring. If, if you guys don't know that one, you've heard it at weddings. It's probably the second best, or one of two uh, highlight wedding video songs, right? I mean, it's, it's going to be either Canon and D or that one was, as the bride walks down the aisle. Like, it, that's often the case. Really well known. At the bottom of every piece of music that he ever wrote, that he ever composed, at the bottom, he would write SDG 
Soli Deo Gloria means for the glory of God alone. I love that, first of all. Is that not cool? But you know what he's saying? And I think this is just so cool. He he recognized that there's no such thing. He he didn't have this problem of, oh, well, there's secular music and then there's sacred music. It didn't matter to him. It it didn't matter. He he wasn't a, a believer in that the glory of God was for Sunday mornings, and it goes in that little box, but then the rest of the week is us. He didn't buy into that. He, he understood and proclaimed that every part of life is to be lived for the glory of God alone. And so he gave his best when he wrote music, right? He gave his best wherever it was for, when he served, when he performed, when he lived, he was giving his best, saying, I want to live my life to that end, to reflect and shine glory to the God I love, the God who saved me, to the true hero of my story. Friends, I don't know where you're at with God today. I'm not sure what he's saying to you. Maybe you're here today, and the truth be told, you too, like me, need a Copernican revolution in your own soul. We need to to stop and just realize it, and even just drop on our knees and say, God, would you forgive me? for making so much of my life about me. I have been pursuing my own plans. I've been wanting to have the spotlight on me. I've been trying to pretend that I'm the hero and everything else. God, in reality, would you forgive me? I am not. You are the good one. You're the hero, the savior of my story, and I need you. From this point forward, God, you teach me to walk and to know and to live for your glory alone. It's the purpose of our existence. It's why we're here. It's what we will do for all eternity. It's meant to be experienced and known and professed and enjoyed on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday when we're at the store, when we're at our job, when we're with our spouse, when we're at our, in our dorm room, when we're with our kids. In every other part of life, what if you and I committed and learned to live our lives for and with and to the glory of God? Let's close in prayer. God, we are just reminded this morning that it is not about us. It's really all about you. That you have made us for your glory. That life works best as we align ourselves to that fact, and we live every moment of every day to shine a light on you. God, we are like little moons (laughs) on our own. We got nothing. You are the glorious one. You are the glory inside of us through your spirit. You're the, the glory that has been poured out to us in your grace and mercy through Christ. You are the glorious creator. You are the, the glorious faithful and good God to us. You're the glorious healer, the glorious savior. Even the glorious friend that is with us always to the very end of the age. I pray, God, that there would be a revolution in our hearts and in our lives, that our eyes could be opened to see and recognize your presence with us, to know more and more and more each day your vastness and your greatness and your power and your love. May we live our lives in step with you. May we live our lives to give you praise for who you are. May you be seen, may may you increase and we decrease. 
pray for us as a church, God, us as individuals, us as friends, husbands and wives, parents, kids, on and on, God. We just pray that you would teach us to live for your glory. We surrender to you. We open our hearts and lives.